0: This is Trained to Perform, the undisputed alpha podcast in training fitness and sports performance. Here, you'll develop your skills with the cold, hard facts in fitness, sports performance, recovery, and nutrition, real, tried and true, evidence-based facts that have been proven to move you faster, move you stronger, and move you forward. Now, here's your host of Train to Perform, Julian Sisman.
1: And welcome back to the Train to Perform podcast. Thanks again for listening. Um, Today, we had um, Lee Taff. He is a strength and conditioning coach, um, mainly focusing on tennis. Um, He's been in the field now for... 30 some years, as he said, maybe actually 20. Um, and he um, he started out as a PE teacher, had a little thing on the side. Um, the PE really helped him develop his business um, to really get him to where he is now. Um, he is uh, in Florida working with mostly tennis, but me and him talk a lot about speed and um, he's known as the "Quote unquote," speed guy, and you know that's really why I wanted him on my podcast because I want to talk about. I love to talk about speed, and it seems to be a topic or something that a lot of soccer players want to get better at. And um, so we talk ideas and strategies, and um, there's there's a lot of things you can take away from this podcast. Um, so I hope you guys enjoy it. Again, please rate, please share. And um thank you again. How's good. it going? Yeah. yeah, it's
2: going going well. Yeah. How about you? Everything's good and
1: Yeah, and good. um, can't really complain, man. Like just work.
3: <laughs> yeah.
1: Trying to try to you know, I got into this uh probably way after you. Um uh, I I don't know how long have you been sort of doing speed agility This is my
2: thirty-first year.
1: Yeah, so I'm like a quarter of the no less than that like <laughs> a lot less yeah I'm like probably six years in um yeah. and uh you know I um, you know I learn things every day um, we all do business uh you know what to do uh, as far as like training goes Um, and it's, it's like, I swear it's like an ever evolving situation, uh, which is, which is unique, um, because, uh, it doesn't get stale. Um, so it's, it's really nice. Um, and you know, just, you just kind of have to like play day by day.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Um, Yeah. You get your, you got to create the pathway that you want. And then that makes it easier for you to know if you're getting off it. You know what I mean? So those are the things when I was young and first opened my first facility, I didn't know. I mean, I knew how to train. I knew, you know, at least at that time, I thought I knew how to train, you know, back in my first facility was in 94. And so I learned over time is once I created the vision and where I wanted to go, it just made things so much easier because then I knew if I was off that path, you know, and, uh, and as I've gotten older, I can eliminate a lot of fluff because it's not where I want to go. So yeah, uh, it's wish it's what I wish I would have known when I was younger, you know, first in it. So
1: yeah, it's funny you say that because, you know, the more and more, like I said, like the more and more I get it, like think about it, uh, the less I want to focus on like, Like just a ton of different athletes, and more on like sort of my background, which is like soccer kids, soccer, yeah. Um, And I mean, I'm in an area where it's very like it's very popular. It's you know kids, you know work, you know the goal is always you know one or the other. It's like I want to at least maybe play college or maybe play pro. Like yeah, um, so it's uh, it's interesting. Um but it's fun. I mean I enjoy it. Uh so I can't complain. Yeah. yeah, I can tell you this, if
2: you did niche and specialize your life would get so much easier and you would probably grow a lot faster. Um I we just moved to Florida about a month ago.
3: Yeah, a, little okay. over a month
2: ago. And okay. I started my career in tennis. Okay. And I was in 1991, I was at Terry's Tennis Academy as a speed coach and it's now called IMG, but it was it wasn't that at that time. And um, I've always been in tennis, but I used to train everybody. I train all athletes and I still do to to an extent. But since I've gotten back, I have dove 100% into the world of tennis and really put my focus there. I have grown more in the past four weeks, five weeks than I have over the last five years. And uh, it's just because all my focus is on one thing Mm -hmm. and growing all the little things of that. So it just makes your marketing easier. It makes your research easier. It makes your training programming easier. You know, it just, it cleans it up a lot. Not that you can't do the other stuff and train Mm -hmm. the other, but if you just focus in one area and if those people come to you, then good. But you know, and then if you get staff, you can say, you, you can say, hey, you guys take care of the basketball the football and the baseball, softball, whatever. My focus is soccer, you know, but but that's for you to decide. But I'm telling you, from a business standpoint, it really makes a difference.
1: Yeah, no, I agree with you. And and I totally I, I, I definitely agree with you as far as that goes, because since I have been like just focusing on soccer, let's say in the past, like three, two to three months. Um, you know, things have changed dramatically myself. It it makes total, I totally agree with you. So, um, really like, how'd you start, how'd you get into, you know, what you're doing? Like, you know, you're, you're known as they say you're the speed guy. And I, I'll be honest with you. Like, I've been following you for a long time. Um, I'm really close with, I'm really, you know, close with Matt Johnson. So like, I've talked to him, yeah. Uh, you a few times, to- um, a couple times. And I, I mean, I've been following you for a while as far as like speed, multi directional work goes. Um, and I, you know, try to incorporate some of that stuff, especially in soccer because it's a okay. for sure multi directional sport. Um,
3: yeah. Yeah.
1: So, so, yeah, kind of, you know, yeah. fill me in on that and kind of, I just want to yeah. learn where you, what kind yeah. of brought you to where you are.
2: Absolutely, yeah. So I uh, my degree was phys ed. So when okay. I graduated college, I played college basketball, college tennis. Uh, graduated uh, immediately, went right into teaching phys ed, and I was coaching three sports. I coached football, basketball, and track. And then after two years, so in '91, I left teaching and coaching to go get my masters, and that's what led me to Bolitaries. Where so part of my masters in sports science. Uh, was, uh, I did my mentorship in strength and conditioning and that's how it all started. Um, even though when I was the high school, uh, teacher and, and, uh, coach, I was kind of their de facto strength coach. I used to work with athletes on the side and did stuff, but that was when I really dove in full speed. So that's kind of how it all started. And then I, you know, I went back into teaching for a little bit, just for some security when we got married and had kids. But I never stopped my business. I always had my business running through that time as well. And just over the years, I've owned five facilities at different times, different locations. And and I've done a lot of training. And then as you get older, what happens is you end up coaching coaches. And so I become more of a consultant now and work with a lot of teams and organizations.
1: So, yeah, that's kind of how it all transpired. Awesome. Um, So when it comes down to speed, like, you know, when you break it down, like what's one of the, especially, you know, in, in the game, in any game, really like, like linear speed is always talked about. Um, like when you, when you coach it, when you, uh, you know, especially with kids, um, younger kids, you know, all of them, all they, all they talk about is like, I want to get faster. Um, and then, you know, my, my response is typically like, okay, we got to work on, you know, certain speed, uh, you know, technical work, form, things like that. It's not speed is not like, okay, we're going to do like hundreds and 200. That's, that's totally different. We're talking about like, you know, twenties, tens, twenties, thirties type of things. Yep. When you, when you educate kids on that kind of stuff, like what's like, what do you, what's your go-to as far as, you know, the first few sessions or first few weeks
2: yeah. Yeah. So if we can start them out with linear speed, it's just easier. It's more accepted by them. They get it. Mm-hmm. Right. Even though in, they may be a youth soccer player, they could be a youth volleyball player. So they do multidirectional,
3: mm-hmm. but
2: training it isn't as common to them as linear speed. Yeah. So if we can get them to understand position,
3: mm-hmm. so
2: nice, tall posture. Okay. Good position. How mm-hmm. to, how to just create some good, good alignment. And then working on drills such as marching, uh, skipping, A-runs, snap skips, um, things that cause them to hit the, the appropriate positions with their limbs. So if I have an athlete do a march, I can slow down and have them feel the position I want them in a little bit longer, right? Because if I have them run, they go through that position so quick, they don't, I don't know if they feel it yet. So we can get them to slow down a little bit. And then gradually build in the speed. And then we can teach them that if I want to get my leg from behind my body to the front of my body, I -hmm. can get it there if it's really short. So we then we start talking about shortening levers. So bend the knee quite a bit. Pull that heel right underneath your butt so that your knee comes out in the front close to parallel to the ground. So now it's in a great position to shoot down. So we can walk them through those things. Then we can build the speed. And then we can go to like these snap skips. A snap skip is basically kind of like an A skip, except for you're always on one leg and you literally just snap and switch. As we're in A skip, there's a time when both legs touch the ground bump, and mm-hmm. then you, you go back up. Um, those are good for force uh, production into the ground and, and driving the leg down. But if you want to be central nervous system driven and getting that cross extensor uh, reflex, you've got to start with one high, one low, and then switch them, just like scissors. You know, they go in opposite directions. And so, just by teaching that stuff, all of a sudden they kind of get—they start to feel like how important it is to be in the right position. But you got to be patient because at first it's going to feel awkward because it's new. And mm-hmm. especially younger kids are like, I don't know, this feels really funny, and they don't like doing it. Well. I'm like, this is how we get better. This is, we, it's the process of failing your way to success. And that's okay. That's what it should feel like.
3: Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I agree
1: with you. I mean, I think uh, I, I, over, over, over the time since I started, it's, it's kind of gone from like doing a bunch of these like random drills to like really breaking it down and kind of like break down the whole, everything into like different segments and then kind of like build it back up. So, um, it's been, you know, some of the stuff that you've put out there, especially, um, with through athletes acceleration, the speed, um, course that you have, it's, it, it helps a lot. Thank you. Um, so it, it, like, when does it come, um, when does like band like resisted stuff come in, in play into play? Like, you know, is that something that you find very helpful for them to, you know, like, what 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 do you use that for, I guess?
2: Yeah, yeah, that's a great question, because it's misunderstood. We We look at bands, and we say it should only be a progression. Well, that's not always true. It's true sometimes, because if I can take a young athlete, and especially if they're not very strong, Mm-hmm. And I can put a band around them. And we're talking about a moderate ten- intensity. We're not talking about a big, heavy band. We're just talking about something that their body senses. There's they, they need to apply more force because of this new tension. So when I do that, and often I'll do that on day one, because what it does is it tells me how they manage pressure. Okay, so I put a band around their waist and I start tugging on it and they start running away from me. It lets me know where their leak the energy leakages are right but it also lets them know hey you know for me to you know kind of go at the speed I want to go I need to go a little bit harder and so sometimes we can trick the nervous system into working a lot harder where I can't do it without any external stimulus because they don't know how to do that an experienced runner would know how to maybe reach different levels of intensity a younger kid just you know they just run right so if we put a band around them, now all of a sudden they have to apply a little bit more force. And what we find is they tend, especially for acceleration, they tend to apply force in much better position. So they drive down and back much better because the band would be very synonymous with having them run up a hill. They, they, they naturally lean, they naturally drive down and back, they naturally get better leg separation. Those are all qualities we want. So sometimes if I do that on day one, I can actually help them. But the other part of it is, uh, Julian, the band actually allows me to control their deceleration, which maybe we haven't worked on yet. So if yeah. I put a band around your waist and say, start running when they, when you go to slow down, well, I've got half your weight in my hand because I got some attention. So I can actually save uh, their mechanics on decelerating. And take some weight from it, especially if they're a younger athlete or an older athlete that's come off an injury. I mm-hmm. can do things because they get hurt during the deceleration a lot of times. Mm-hmm. I can take the weight away from them by using a band. So yeah, so I'll use it right off a lot of times when I want to progress it. Then I get a little bit heavier and heavier, or or maybe more strict with how hard I pull it. That's how I progress it.
1: Okay, and and, and when you do when you do different like uh like like runs so you would resist band through like skips marches things like that to for them to like slowly understand um you know that the pressure that they gotta you know put into it versus just a sprint some people yeah you can yep yeah you can
2: use it for anything so even if you're like, t- like right now, a lot of people are struggling because they can't get out. They can't go to the performance facility depending on where they are in the country, right? Mm-hmm. So if they had a band, if they were able to go to Walmart and buy a couple of inexpensive bands and attach them to their door or something, they could actually do it in place. Even mm-hmm. though it's done in place, it's still going to give them a little bit of a tilting reflex because the band will make them feel like that. Otherwise, the band wins and it pulls them back. So there's so many benefits to using band training, but here's the other part we have to understand. You, if you have an athlete that's struggling with ground contact time, in other words, they're really squishy and they kind of sit on the ground too long, using a band might not be the best option all the time. You might use it on occasion to, to drive more strength, but if you want them off the ground quicker, if you're going to use the band, you might have to assist them but you only assist them out of the first couple steps so that momentum can now be their friend and help them go because a heavy footed person resisted becomes a heavier footed person. But if you, if you do other strategies like a light assistance for a first couple steps, then you can assist them, uh, get through the mo uh, the motion easier and the central nervous system really likes that.
1: Yeah. When you talk about ground contact time, what, um, what kind of, what kind of things do you use as far as like that, you know, cause obviously when, you know, sprinting, the quicker you're off the ground, you know, the quicker you'll, you're, you're and quicker you're off the ground and the more force you can put off the, in that step, um, you know, quicker you'll yeah. be, faster you'll be. So like, what are some strategies that you use to implement in your programs, especially in the beginning? Cause like, that's typically where like, especially new kids that are coming into the gym, probably never done any type of training before, you know, probably only have done their sport training. Yeah. Um, and if they had like speed and agility, it's mostly like, yep. you know, you know what I mean? <laughs> yep. yeah, I do. Uh, so what, what kind of stuff? Cause you know, I, I noticed that with a lot of kids that I work with and um, you know, I do a lot of like, you know, plyos, um, like a single leg stuff, um, things like that. But, just kind of curious as to like what kind of stuff you implement into your yeah
2: yeah great um so from a starting point i usually start in bilateral at the initial just to see how they handle that because it's lighter right now you got two legs working versus the one Mm. so we'll do things such as uh what i call bounce drills or pogos right so we just can place your hands on our hips and we we kind of stiffen up the legs a little bit very very little knee bend because we're trying to we're trying to demonstrate through the foot and the ankle using the lower leg primarily. And we bounce, right? We bounce almost like jump roping. We just, we bounce and, and the higher we go, um, the longer it takes to get off the ground. So I'll tell the kids just think about jumping quick, be a ping pong ball rather than a, you know, a heavy medicine ball. Right. I don't, I want that real quick bounce. So they'll find their height. And then after that, we'll put a, put them on like a low box or it could be like a 45-pound Olympic plate. You know, those are about two and a half, three inches, depending on the type of plate you have. So if they stand on that, almost like they are an Olympic high diver, standing backwards, ready to do, uh, you know, ready to dive backwards off, you know, how they get right on the balls of their feet. So if you do that, and then they they jump off backwards and bounce right back up as quick as they can. Uh So they're little bounces, yep. Uh So all of a sudden, they've added a little bit of height, But they've also added the element of having to tilt and coordinate their body lean. Because if they lean backwards, when they land, they're going to jump away from the box or the plate. So they learn to load in dorsiflexing through the foot, the toe, and the ankle. And then what we do is we start putting multiple boxes. Okay, So if I put six boxes in a row with enough space in between... They bounce on, bounce off, bounce on, bounce off. And now they're building momentum forward and they're seeing how traveling over the ground changes the quickness of the jump. So it starts to get faster. Then what we can do is we can start to go to, like you were talking about, more of a single leg emphasis, but still have two legs. So if I took that same low box and I put my left foot on it, and I put my right foot off it. My left foot is higher, my right foot's off, but my right foot's behind me, left's a little bit in front. I bounce and I switch. So it's just like you're cycling your feet. Now I'm starting to simulate what it's like to have a foot drive down and back behind me, and then the front foot is just a stabilizer. But most of the weight's going to be on that back foot. And I jump and I switch, but we're still emphasizing that same concept of the pogo jump Initially, right? Real quick, real quick. No,
1: you're not really focusing on that vertical. You're focusing more on that quick off the box and off the ground.
2: Yeah, initially it's quick. It's it's maybe a little bit higher reps than we might typically go because we're trying to build some tensile strength, some quality mm-hmm. in the tissues. And then as we say, hey, you know what? They're getting faster. You can tell they're bouncing quicker. Maybe you time them. Then you can do what you just said. Now we can say, all right, now, I want you to treat those jumps as if you have to get up in the air and touch the net or you know, touch the backboard or get above the goalpost. Right. And now they start to really bounce. And if they do it and they look like they're really dead and they're driving too, then we say, okay, let's, let's go back to these quick ones and we gradually build it up because maybe we've gone past their strength ability. So, um, so that's how we started. And then you can eventually start going to the single leg stuff. That's one of the drills I like in a ladder. If you took an agility ladder, the one thing that's good with that is it, it, predetermines how far they're going to jump or hop. Their boxes are only 18 inches, so that way you never have to worry about the athlete over jumping too far. Just just say, hey, you got 10 boxes, hop on each foot all the way down, do the other foot coming back, and do it as quick as you can. Now you're starting to build a faster ground contact time, but nothing replaces the ground contact time of actually sprinting. So after you do those, have them finish with a couple short 10 to, you know, 20-meter sprints, and then they're gold
1: yeah and and kind of to sum that up like when you do like sprint linear speed drills like um you know over the course of like say like you know a six-week program like what is your sort of like progression as far as like um like reps uh like reps, are you yeah. no and are you like, is it a ton of volume? Um, you know, I, I mean, I don't know how I, it also could probably be based on how often the kid is working with you. um yeah. things so things like that. So there's a lot of, obviously there's a lot of variables.
2: Yeah. So if we're going to work, let's say our training session today, let's say it's an hour and we're, we're going to include some strength training. We might do a little bit of five minutes of conditioning at the end, maybe some, something fun or whatever. Um, And we got our warm-up. And so let's say we're going to allot ourselves maybe 20 minutes of speed, 15 to 20 minutes of speed or whatever. And that's primarily our focus. Once we're warmed up in the early week, okay, or the early phase. So let's say phase uh, one to two, weeks one to two. We're going to focus on short flies. So we're going to give them about a five-yard buildup, And we're going to let them sprint once they hit the zero mark. So five yards, hit the zero, and then they're going to go another ten pretty short. Uh, They're not going to go fast enough to really cause any hold muscles. They just haven't gone fast enough yet, right? Um, We can really work uh, some good technique on that, and we might do maybe two sets of three to four reps. So, I'm going to run one, two, three, four, Take a little break, maybe do some mobility, maybe work on something quick, and then come back, do it again, and see if we can emphasize something new. And then when we get to weeks three and four, we're probably going to either reduce the number of sets down to one, maybe do five or six reps, but we're going to add a longer buildup. So now they're hitting that zero after going 10 meters. So they go 10 meters, hit that zero and then run the next 10 meters as fast. So now they got 20 meters and we're going to time them and we're going to see what that 10 looks like compared to what it looked like when they did the five. Right now we can start to give them some excitement there. And we'll go about five. We don't need to do too many, um, overall because we want to make sure that we, we make them go as fast as they can and everyone give them quality rest and then get out of it and then go do whatever else we're going to do. Yeah. if This is the only time I would change. If you were not going to do other stuff, like you were out on the track, you weren't going to do strength training, then I might get more volume in there. Uh, But again, I'm more on, I'm a big fan of Tony Holler. I believe in that. I've always been the type who feels like, you know what, let's train hard. Let's go home and rest hard. And let's come back and be able to do it again. And so we'll get those five to six quality uh, reps in and then stop. Then when we get to weeks five and six, now we're just going to expand the distance. If they're ready to pop up to, you know, 30 meters, so maybe we go a 10-meter buildup, and then we go a 20-meter sprint, and we're going to do anywhere from four to five of those, as hard as they can, rest. But keep in mind, you are also working on all the A-series stuff, so A-march, A-skip, snap-skip, uh, a runs, maybe you're gonna throw some wickets in there to work on front side mechanics before they run. So you're gonna build up volume and capacity yeah. anyway. But yeah. then when you're going full speed, yeah, that's when you hit it. So that's it's just in a nutshell. That's how I might do it yeah. with a young kid.
1: Cool. S- yeah, so yeah that's, that seems to be like the um, you know, kind of like where I where I I live. I don't I don't to, uh, I, I like I mean I like I said I, I followed you for a long time. And I followed some other people and I kind of take some of their programs, good. And just kind of use the ideas. Um, again, you know, I I'm a firm believer and you know it's not all about crazy volume. It's all about quality reps, and that's obviously the same sort of thing that we all preach as far as like strength training goes. Um. That's right. uh, your body will uh, can't will and learn how to do those bad reps and you'll keep doing them if you don't do it right
2: yeah that's right and you um, know n- not to interrupt you but I want to yeah. make a final point on that I just was working on a project mm-hmm. uh, you know actually before we get on the call and one of the sections I wrote up on is I would much rather look at the w- end of the week or the end of two weeks and have a lot of cumulative volume over that two week period to gain a big capacity of learning that skill and getting better at it versus crushing them in one day and then having them not be able to perform well for like two to three more days where they're really shot. So it just never made sense to me. Like I would rather them, you know, let's get a few today and a few tomorrow and a few the next day. And now Mm -hmm. by the end of the week, they've got just as much as you would have, you would have crushed them on Monday but they won't be able to do anything again until Thursday of any value, right? Or any speed. Yeah. So that's always been my philosophy. Plus I think it's safer.
1: Yeah, yeah. No, I, I agree with you. I mean, because it's one of those things again where, you know, if they're running at full speed, um, which, you know, you hope, you know, if you just accumulate a crazy amount of volume in one session, like they're gonna be so sore. Yeah. Like, especially hand and like you know, you want to be able to train in a two days or so, 48 hours from the day that you train. So, like, killing them is, is not like – I, I mean, I personally have never done that. So, like, yeah. I wouldn't really know. Um, and, you know, some of the stuff I teach, I do myself to, like, kind of, like, know to make sure that it's, like, good and the volume is good and, you know, how, like, how it feels just so I can Good relate, for you. I do the something. same voice my opinion about it. Um, because I'm, mean, you know, kids are always going to have questions. Um, cause yeah. a lot of this stuff is new. So kind of, uh, transitioning to like, you know, multi-directional stuff. I know you love this stuff cause I literally see you do like some crazy stuff like that. I can, I'm so like, how do you, how does he think of this? Cause it's so <laughs> useful. Um, how important to you? How important is it to you, like, these, de- like, learning to decelerate? And, you know, like, you know, obviously, we talked about linear speed, how to get fast, but, like, how important is deceleration? Like, because I think if you can, if you have the best brakes, being able to move, you know, side to side is like, you'll be the way quicker versus, That's like, right. behind good brakes.
2: Exactly. I'm telling you. If you don't have the brakes, you're in trouble because it just doesn't allow you to be able to accelerate in a new direction, right? Or, or be safe. But here's the misnomer that a lot of people have. Mm-hmm. Deceleration training is different than change of direction training or reacceleration. Now, we do have the element of decelerating, obviously, when we change directions, but the intent is not to decelerate, right? So when you're playing soccer, And you're trying to get by me. And you're trying to really push hard and get by the, you know, dribbling to your right. And so I'm opening them up running next to you. And now you're trying to change directions quickly and cut to the inside of me. You're not thinking about stopping. You're thinking about accelerating in a new direction. You just have to happen to stop, right? You have to slow down so when we cha- when we train pure deceleration which is important it's critical i believe it's it it resembles more of the things that we want to do in the weight room so the eccentric component of slowing down mm-hmm. so let's say we're doing a jump stop or a lunge stop or a lateral stop or whatever and we do that drill and then we stop then we stop still right the angles for me to produce force to stop my body are different than the angles that I'm going to use to change directions because and when I stop my body going sideways, so if my angle is, you know, 35 degrees, 45 degrees, something like that, well, it's probably going to have to be five to 10 degrees wider because now that angle doesn't just stop me. It restarts me in a new direction. So, and you're not just you're not just worried about your feet. You have to manage your mass and momentum of the upper body. So when I train deceleration, I make it clear to the athletes we're trying to strengthen your tissues. We're trying to strengthen the the, the signaling of your nervous system, your proprioceptive system to understand where you are in space. But when we're training change of directions, we're trying to elicit a really fast stretch shortening response to be able to change that directions and get in and out really quick so that's the difference I do I have when I when I train the two
1: so for for the first part so when you're saying the eccentric part are you obviously you're you're working on there's probably a phase or so of that when you're with weights um what type of like you are talking about like jump stop, like things like that. Like, what type uh, are those just different like movements that you've sort of come up with that are a, you're able to elicit like the different movements when you're, you know, whatever sport you're playing? Is, yep. that what, is that what you're referring to? Okay.
2: Yeah. So if you're going straight ahead, a jump stop or a split step, same a tennis player calls it a split step, most other sports call it a jump stop. You just jump, parallel stance. Kind of sit down into that stance and it's a basic good athletic stance. Okay. That's a jump stop. Now, if I'm moving sideways and I want to stop like a goalie going to their right and then all of a sudden having to stop, come back the other way, they would do what we would call just a, a lateral stop. Okay. It's just like a shuffle stop, boom, and go the other way. Then we have a lunge stop. That would be like, almost looks like a bowler, right? Somebody bowling, they get that one leg out in front. It's kind of like that. It's a, it's okay. a lunge stop but we also have those going backwards and on angle. So we have different ones that we can train. So the athlete understands how to manage their force and their weight. And then, and then we just eventually take it and have different patterns go into a change of direction, which is different mechanics.
1: Yeah. Okay. So, so those are the type of things that you kind of do in the beginning of a session to kind of like prep, like, like, cause like, you know, Pretty intense stuff, right there. That you're sort of coaching these kids or athletes. It's good prep um,
2: work. Yep, good yeah. prep work. You can do it in the body of the workout based on what your workout is, but but it's really good to hit those during that uh, during that warm up period. That way, you can get them every day. Uh, you can practice them every day.
1: And you know, and, and I mean, it's and it's a very similar to like. You know, the sprint stuff, you're probably not, you know, going crazy on the volume. It's some of those, some of those things where you're, it's more of like, uh, like you said, prep sort of like movement prep type work. Like, yeah,
2: yeah. And, and, and think about it. If I had, so if I had my athletes three times a week mm-hmm. and I, and I did two to three reps of those type of exercises every day and I hit them in my warm up. By the end of the week, I'm getting a lot of volume and they're getting better because they're getting more exposure to those same things. We can add variation to them, but they're basically the same thing. And so I'm not overdoing it on any one day, but you look at the end of the week, you're like, holy cow, I've accumulated a lot of reps and that's how they get better. It's the more reps, the better the skill acquisition.
1: And when you do your, okay, and then kind of going into like more drill type work for like multi-directional stuff. Are you, are you doing like more short stuff, more like quick turns versus like long, like, like drill, you know, how some of these people like yeah. do, do these like six cone drills or they're just like shuffling. Is it more, more or less like, all right, we're going to teach the skill. We're going to work on the skill and then we're going to do something where we're like a, a, against an opponent type thing. So c- okay. trying to keep it game related.
2: Exactly. Yeah. So, I'm real big on the short burst because that's where players really accelerate uh, if, to, to improve. Right, so there's going to be times in certain sports like like you know football or soccer, lacrosse, field hockey where we're going to have to open up and run a little bit. Right, we're going to have to have a little bit of distance. But real plays are made in those short. Maybe I take one step to the right, cut, boom, back to the left, boom, take a shot. Right. That's the kind of stuff. So I spend a lot of time in the one to two second burst or three to five second burst. So we're talking one to 10 meters or up to, you know, we could be, again, 10 to 40 meters based on who the athlete is. So if we work in those time zones, where those time frames, we're really starting to to focus on that explosive type training. And we, we couple a lot of those drills together. That's how we build the capacity, right? And plus, we know the kids are going to be playing anyway, so they're building longer duration drills anyway. Now, here's what's different with my training than a lot of people, and I just discovered this years ago, is when I start a training session after they've warmed up, I start with what I call the reactive tier system. It's a reactive drill. So I have them react right off. And it, and, it, and it can be very low level, could be very just linear, could be lateral, could be whatever. I only do that a few times. But what it does is it tells me what kind of athletes I have today. How are they reacting? How are they moving? Then I go to the dr- the correctives, the drills, or if I want to put a band around them, or if I want to have them work on arm mechanics or leg mechanics, then we'll come back and we'll finish with some kind of maybe a tag or a mirror drill or whatever. And what it does is it allows me to make sure the athletes are zoned in from, from the very first drill. Because you and you and I both know sometimes if you tell an athlete, say, all right, start over here on this line and run to the 10 when you're ready. Or they kind of stroll up there, they get there, then they go. But if you and I stood next to each other and you had to react to me. So when I left, you had to go and match me, even yeah. on the first drill, it immediately gives a better Emphasis on effort, and when I get good effort, I get to see flaws better, or, or concrete patterns, really good patterns. And so, a tier one is really easy. It's just you know which direction you're going, you just don't know when. So a track athlete, right? They know they're going straight, they just don't know when. When the gun goes off, a tier two means they could go right, left, or forward, backwards, and they don't know when. They wait till either the partner goes or the coach gives them the command. Then you get to tier threes and a tier three is a mirror drill. So there's multiple change of directions as a tier one and tier two. There's no change of direction. It's just a reaction, go, and then you're done.
1: Yeah. See, I I like to, I, I, very similar. Uh, It seems to be like, obviously mine's kind of switched, but you know, that's good. I've never thought of it that way. Kind of cause it, cause then, you're able to, like you said, you're able to see where, um, you know, how, what what's going on with them at that moment versus yeah. like waiting to the end, sort of after working on some type of skill work. Right. Um,
3: what was I going to say?
1: Why? What? What? Like, sort of brought you to like working with just tennis, like, is it because of where you live or is it because, you know, something that, is it because of your mentorship and just kind of, uh, stayed with it because you enjoyed it or is, yeah. or did you play?
2: Yeah, no, I did. I played growing up, played through high school, played in, it's funny, I played two years in college, but when I transferred to a, my, the college, I graduated at Cortland state in New York, um, I they, obviously they had basketball I played there but they didn't have they didn't have men's tennis they had women so I couldn't play anymore so I used to play on the side and I played tournaments and all that. uh and then when I got into strength and conditioning I started in tennis academies I was in two different tennis academies and then I went to University of Kentucky and I worked with their men's team while I was there for a little bit um, but when I when we moved here I still consult and work with other sports and other athletes but I wanted to just get back to my roots. I love tennis. I love training. And I think there's, I think there's a really good place, a good niche for me to be able to uh, bring a a wider understanding of my methods of how, how it's worked with many of the college and pro and high school athletes I've worked with in tennis. And so, and and it just, what it does, uh, it, it gives me a single focus and that's helped me It's helped me gain a lot of momentum when I'm just basically focusing on that area uh, Mm. as my major work throughout a day and all my research and all my, I have a show called the Tennis Speed Show. And that allows me just to go after the tennis strength coaches, tennis coaches, performance coaches and tennis. So it just clears my mind and I'm so much more productive that way. So that's kind of why.
1: Where is that show that you, is it like a YouTube thing that you just broadcast? Just launched it.
2: Yeah, just launched it. Yep, it's we've had. Actually, today will be the second one. I've I've recorded multiple people, but they'll they'll go out each week. So we just launched it when we got down here. We took some time, set it up, made a lot of my contacts. So I've I've got contacts around the world that we're reaching out uh, to, and so the different people will be on the show. And yeah, so so it'll be uh, yeah, it's fun. It's a fun show, and it's about thirty minutes, and we just talk speed speed for tennis. That's really the focus.
1: I mean, it, it, what like really got you into like this the whole speed game? Like, I mean, I know a lot of people enjoy like the strength, power, and all that kind of stuff, but you know, at the end of the day, like if you're fast and you can and quick, um, you know, it doesn't really matter. It doesn't really matter how. I mean, yes, strength plays a role, but you know. It, if you're like I said like I've seen it I've played against yeah. soccer players that are like don't look strong believe me um, and are so yeah maybe some genetics plays a role but right. you know uh, like what what really brought you into like that whole niche sort of thing yeah. I mean yes you're in tennis but like you really you know got yourself into the being oh yeah well it's funny
2: because I started in college first of all I was always a quick athlete, one very big, but I was really quick. I played four sports in high school. My, my best attribute was I was fast. Okay. I was really, really quick. So it, it just interests me. So when I got in college, I actually started studying film on athletes moving, including myself. So I would watch how I, how my feet moved when I guarded somebody in basketball or how I moved in tennis. And, and I started to say, wow, I mean, that's so much different than everybody's teaching us you know, like, the, and I'm watching other athletes. And then I started to study older athletes, like back in the fifties and sixties and seventies and say, well, they did it too. So then I started to realize the central nervous system is telling us something. We're just not picking it up. You know, coaches are, you know, they talk about the fault step and they talk about, you know, can't cross your feet and you can't do, I'm like, yeah, but that all the greatest athletes, that's what they do. That's a natural movement pattern. and There's a reason for that. So that's kind of how it came about. But the funny thing is, I love strength. Like, I am a, I, I'm a big, big on, on strength training. Uh, I do a lot with it, but I put it in its place. Just like you said, when an athlete has these genetic gifts, I use strength to keep them healthy, make sure they're, they're strong enough to perform at, at higher potentials if, if possible, but I don't treat them like a bodybuilder or a power lifter or an Olympic lifter. Mm-hmm. I treat them like an athlete that needs to benefit from some good fundamental strength training. And uh, but I love that end of it. But it's funny. Someone years ago in an article said called me or somehow named called me the speed guy, and that's how it stuck. Yeah. It was just it just came out, and so we we rode with it, and so that's how it came about.
1: That's awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, so what is I know this, this is a crazy because I see it all the time still. What's your opinion about the speed ladder? <laughs> speed ladder. So the agility
2: ladder, right? Yeah, you know yeah, yeah. yeah, that's what I meant yeah. to say. <laughs> yeah. I'm one of these guys. I've just been around long enough. I've seen everything come around. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's funny. I had a, a guy, uh, Dr. Ed Thomas, uh, much older now, uh, he, brilliant, brilliant. And he showed me one time, I was at his house in Iowa. I was doing some work with the military with him on speed. And um, he showed me his a book that he had from like 1905 or something like that. And he goes, here, flip to this page. And there was an agility ladder. Okay, 1905. And he goes, when people tell you there's something new, he goes, don't believe it. Things have been around and they just come back around again and people put a new twist on it. So so I am a fan of any tool if you understand how to use it. So I know that the speed ladder or the agility ladder isn't designed to teach maximum sprint form. But to do uh, balance works, stability work, quick hops, like we talked about earlier, no. Um, to break down the initial phases of cutting. Like I have a whole hop series that I do using the ladder um, that helps athletes warm up and prepare or come back from injury. So for those things, I think they're fantastic because I get to control their distance. Mm -hmm. That way they can never out hop what I want them to hop. Mm -hmm. And so for that reason, I, I like them. But so many coaches say they're useless. You should never use them. But I'm like, they're not understanding it. They think they're designed for maximum speed. And I'm like, they're not even close to that. That's not what they're for. They are for other coordinative type drills. I can help, especially for young
1: kids. They're great to develop just footwork, just coordination. Yeah, yeah, yeah I, I agree with you on that, especially with the coordination. Because, uh, you know, again, like... Uh, I'm sure it's changed where you were too um like physical education and recess Damn. and all that stuff um the amount that these kids are exposed to um i mean I'm uh, much younger than you, and i mean I remember in elementary school at least like an hour a day of recess at least oh, yeah. like, once two once or two days of of uh p e and it's uh, i think significantly being cut out which. It's unfortunate because it's like you know these things are. You, you have PE teachers for what then? <laughs> That's right. You no. Know?
2: Yeah. Exactly. Um, That's a battle I fought for a lot of years and continue to do because I was a phys ed teacher. My dad started teaching phys ed back in the 40s. My two brothers are retired phys ed, and they were all were ADs, and then went into administration. They all coached, and like I did, um, and so. It, I, I just, it, it saddens. What saddens me, not only that it's being taken away, is that the powers to be can't recognize that physical education should probably be the first thing scheduled, then make out all the other classes because physical education, actual physical education, not gym class, which people call it, it's physical education. I have a degree in phys ed, not in gym. Right. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, and it's a very extensive degree and and what I had to learn. And when athletes, student athletes learn to move or just move and they learn motor skills that now helps English and math and history and studying and discipline goes down. We know this. This is not something we're going to guess anymore. We know this. It's been proven in too many schools that have actually, especially in Europe have taken ad, put it as its primary thing, movement, and they see test scores going up, discipline going down, uh, moods going up. But yet here in America, we got people that absolutely cannot figure it out. And that's why they shouldn't be in the position they're in. It, it just saddens me. And then, believe me, we could have a whole podcast on that.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I mean, believe me, uh, it's, it's mind-blowing it's mind because um, – you know, I I've seen and I've heard from kids that I've worked with, like that, like you know, uh, you know, I, I graduated high school like almost like yeah, fifteen years ago. But yeah. that physical education class, you know, uh, was like the obviously it was like one of my favorite classes. But at the end of the day, like you learn so much. I mean, I took phys ed. I mean, when you're in high school here in Maryland, like you only need to take it like one semester. Yeah. And I took it every year. I mean, I don't really care. Um, yeah. but, but it's just crazy. Cause I feel like they just sort of cut out certain activities too. Cause like certain kids aren't like, uh, able to do certain things, but it's like, okay, that's what the teacher is there for to help them teach. It's not just okay. to like, you know, go through the motions. Yeah. Um, I wish they
2: it, would have did that with math and English. Cause there were certain yeah. things I
1: couldn't do, but they didn't cut that out. They made me do it. <laughs> <laughs> no, I agree with you. It's, it's, um, and, and it's just, it's, uh, it's unfortunate because like you said, I, and I, I've seen it too. I've read, um, you know, the, I think it, it really affects a lot of kids, um, especially, you know, as they get older, um, and you know, we have this, you know, health issues in this country, but exactly a whole other conversation. Um, yeah. but yeah, I mean it sucks, but it's all uh, it's uh, just gotta figure it out, help the kids exactly. outside of school if necessary. Um, so exactly. so um kind of like bring this to a close, what are some things that I mean, if you had conversation with a parent, an athlete, um, you know, some tips for kids that are, you know, whoever listens to this. I mean, I, I try to push this to a lot of people, um, friends, co- other coaches and things like that. Um, you know, even athletes. I, I try to push my podcast because I try to get people on here to educate them. Um, and that's the, the whole point of, you know, what I'm trying to do. Um, you know, what are some things that you try to, you know, are important for their eth- athletic development at the youth level to help them to get kind of where they want to be as a college athlete, pro, whatever.
2: Yeah. So I teach a lot about the seven movement patterns. Okay. And I'll just, I'll explain them really, really fast. But if, if I can get athletes, I don't care if I'm working with the, you know, I, I work with some of the major league baseball teams, if I'm working with them or if I'm working with a fifth grade class, doesn't matter. The seven movement patterns they have to be able to become really good at because then as they get up to like your level and played college soccer, now you've got this foundation to use that in the sport of soccer, which will drive certain patterns for you. So they need to be able to sprint. They need to be able to accelerate. Those are two of the forward linear patterns. They need to be able to shuffle sideways. They need to be able to laterally run or cross over, right? So there's four. They need to be able to jump different ways they need to be able to backpedal and they need to be able to hip turn, open their hips and then either run, shuffle or cross over backwards, right? If they can do those seven patterns, that allows them to manipulate those to meet any sport demand. So whatever sport I'm playing, if I have to move on an angle or, or jump and then land on, and move on an angle or sprint forward, stop and go back, I have the, the prerequisites done. I'm really good at those. So right now, especially now, if parents are stuck, you know, maybe they live in the middle of a big city and it's just, they can't get to parks and they can't get out. They can just get their kids doing those patterns somewhere, even if they go in the parking lot or whatever, get them doing those. Now they have a foundation of all the other potential patterns that they could have. Just like you and I would teach athletes the patterns of strength, right? Squatting, hinging, pushing, pulling, rotating, all those. Same thing with speed. If they can do those, it's amazing how they grow in aptitude of movement and coordination grows. And then the world's wide open to them. Now it's just a matter of developing the the skills, how they need them for a particular sport or two that they're playing, or hopefully more than that when they're young. But as they get older, they might specialize to go to college, they're going to already have that foundation. So I think those are the key things. Like we already said, if they did them every single day, just a couple of reps of this one, a couple of reps of that one, every day, 15, 20 minutes, man, by the end of a month, they would be really, really good movers and, and feel much better too.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I think uh, that's so true, especially because we'll help a lot of these kids um, with, you know, especially when with soccer, um, they're consistently doing the same thing over and over all day long, like pass, right. or whatever. So getting them kind of out of that same movements, all those same movements that they don't really focus on, um, would definitely help. I personally, because that's kind of something that I really preach on, is like injury prevention. Just like throwing right. different things at them and getting their body to move differently, because like. When kids come to me and they're like, they look, it, they like when I tell them to do something or we go through certain like you know drill or exercise or movement, it, it's it's quite um like it's it, to me it's funny because it's like yeah you don't realize like <laughs> especially when they're like marching in same side arm and leg are coming up and they're like uh I'm like yeah exactly. um so yeah. I was going to say, you're seeing the effects of what we just talked
2: about. They're not getting it in phys ed. Mm -hmm. Because I used to teach all those locomotive skills in phys ed. They don't get it anymore. So now they come to you as almost their phys ed teacher Mm -hmm. because they're not getting it.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, no, no. And and that's true. And, and, you know, that's that's what I try to tell the parents, too. It's like what they're being taught nowadays is like, is very like low level. I mean, sometimes they don't even do anything. Cause I've seen it, um, and it's unfortunate because like I know I I know somebody that teaches in the county in PE teacher, and it's like one of those things where it's like, you know, it's like they they just play games and they don't they don't like break things down, and some kids don't even participate, and you know it's. Yeah it's, it's, it's unfortunate. And then they, and then they go out and play their sport and they're constantly hurt. So, yeah, I mean, I agree with you. Those movement patterns are, are really important. Um, And, um, yeah, hopefully it's something that they can, you know, grasp Mm -hmm. and understand, especially sprinting. I I just, a lot of kids don't do that. It's a lot Mm -hmm. of like short stuff, like three, four yard stuff. Yeah. Um, it's it's not it's not going to help them get faster i guess that's right. or it's either short or it's like really really long distance there's no way right. where you're working like hard and i think one last thing to just kind of finish this up is like a lot of the kids don't understand rest no the sprinting
2: you're right you're right it ends up a conditioning session yeah. versus a speed session and that's that's so important because again they they you're when you're trying because they've always been taught whether it's mom or dad or their youth coach saying go hard go hard they've never been uh it's never been reinforced that rest is important so go hard but now rest and then go hard again and then rest and then that's what allows you to change the nervous system and all the systems of the body then recover and then you can get faster but if you're always going at full speed with very little rest you can't You can't maintain it. You end up running slower.
1: Yeah, exactly. And I think that's the key. Is uh, they don't understand why, and and then once they understand why, especially with recovery, get recovering and being being able to, you know, repeat that same speed and power, you know, over three, four reps, then they sort of get like, okay, I can see it because like if you're timing it, you know, the same numbers coming up every time versus it's taking longer because you turn it into a conditioning thing.
2: They do. Exactly.
1: Okay. Well, I really appreciate this. Um, it's always good to talk and learn. Always. I learn something every time I have a conversation with somebody on my on, on here. That's great. Um, I'm honored. You
2: asked me to do it. It It's a lot of fun.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, 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 you know, and I, I just try to, um, you know, put people on my podcast that, um, that I can, one, sort of learn from, but also take what they learn and try to educate the people around me. Um, because, you know, I work around a lot of strength coaches. Um, I'm sure you know a lot of them, <laughs> um, but it's also good to just, you know, get your different point of view on certain things. So.
2: Absolutely. That's right. It's all networking. And it's, that's how we all learn. You know, we figure out what other people are doing and we, and we look at it and say, how can that help me? And how can that work in my system of mm-hmm. doing it? Because it's okay not to agree with everybody on what they do, but you can always learn something from someone. And that's what I try to do. So it's uh, that's real smart of you.
1: Yeah, I totally agree with you. Cool. Well, thank you again. Um, And uh, maybe I'll see you sometime soon. I'm actually, actually, I'm actually, well, uh, you don't really do a lot of soccer stuff, but I do have a clinic, a virtual clinic. So if if anybody in Florida, you, you know, that has um, any association with soccer, um, we're doing a virtual clinic through NSCA next month. Oh, good. Yeah.
2: Awesome. Yeah. Just send, email me the information and stuff and yeah, and we'll we'll share yeah, I mean I'm
1: just saying if you know anybody around or that might yeah. be the coaches whatever um you know past uh, you know we're just trying to bridge that gap with coaches especially um that's great so that's awesome well good good luck with that too and thank, thank you. you for take having care. me on all right thank you see ya
2: yep take care take care
0: Thanks for listening to Train to Perform with Julian Sissman. Learn how you can work with Julian in a personal training session, either online or in person at prepareforperformance.com. And follow on social media for more tips on training, fitness, and sports performance on Twitter at jsissman underscore PFP and Instagram at prepareforperformance.